Okay. Um, I want to talk more about prayer because uh, I think we're kind of figuring it out. Is my uh, camera cattywampus? Nope. It's pretty good. Looks like it's shooting off that way. But So uh, what better place to go than the Lord's Prayer? Don't you dare fall asleep. Look, I already know that one. I, I could say that in my sleep. I used to say it 10 times in a row. Every time I shoplifted and went and talked to the priest, he'd say, Stand. you know, I know, I know the Lord's Prayer. I know it. Um, well, that's, I think that's actually a scheme of the devil. He wants us to think we know some biblical truth because we can parrot it. So what I've been doing recently is I've been challenging you guys to think about going out to coffee with Jesus and comparing notes. What do you believe about this? What do you think about marriage? What does Jesus think about marriage? What do you think about the poor and your responsibility to them? What does Jesus think about the poor? What do you think about those people who really, really hurt you? And uh, what's your attitude towards them? How should you process them? How should you relate? What does Jesus say? Are you agreeing with Jesus? Or would you on all sorts of points, he'd be going, I don't know what where that came from. That is not my point of view. And before we went to Colorado, I challenged you guys on this issue of prayer. And uh, it seems to me like you guys tried some different things in prayer and they worked really, really well. And so we want to keep doing that. We want to keep growing. We want to keep, because you, you focused that week on two very specific things and God did those two very specific things. You took, I think, if I heard right, we usually pray for two hours, and it sounded to me like you took about two things. You took almost a whole hour to focus on those two things. Well, those two things happened almost immediately. Probably just a coincidence. Well, what we used to do is we used to kind of, a lot of us do this. We bring our laundry list, you know. God bless Mommy and Daddy and Grandma and Grandpa and Spot and Fluffy and cousin Jim and uh, my, you know, like a little kid before they go to bed, like a little rock skimming over the, you know, and he said, wait, why don't, why don't we stop and look at something and focus on it and hit it at different angles until we really come to clarity about what it is that God wants to do. And I think there's definitely something to that. You're trying to discern God's will. And then you get more and more confident in your prayer until you're like, God needs to do this. This is clearly the best thing. And what you're doing is you're together, you're discerning God's will. And Jesus said, where two or three agree on anything touching the earth, he said, I'll do it. Why is that? Because as Christians focus on a prayer request and they kind of zero in on it and they kind of, I don't know how you, it's almost, you're kind of, no, 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 that's not quite it. What about this? What are you thinking about that? And, you know, what about if we look at it from this angle? Together, we can discern what it is that God wants to do. And then we can agree on it. And Jesus said, once you get there, I'm going to do it. But it takes time. So anyway, it seems like that's kind of what you guys did. And there were two very, very specific requests, pretty big things. And and God took care of them. So anyway, I'm like, well, we ought to talk more about prayer. I think prayer is one of the biggest weapons we have as Christians. One of the most powerful weapons we have. So the devil wants us to get all kinds of foolish, nonsensical, ridiculous ideas about prayer so that we don't do it. You know, there's a battle going on 
in Ukraine right now, right? If there was a weapon that would just bring an end to the whole thing decisively and say Russia, Putin is sorry, he's the guy's bonkers. He thinks, you know, they have access to it, but they don't know it. The last thing in the world that he would want for them to do is to discover this weapon. They could end this whole thing now if they, they're sitting on it, but they don't know it. That's like us. The devil knows we are sitting on weapons, so he wants to confuse us, mislead us, keep us from tapping into it. And prayer is one of those things. And some of us have had amazing breakthrough moments in prayer. And then we kind of go back to our lame kind of praying. And then, then we'll have another one. It's usually when we get really desperate and we have to push it in really hard. So anyway, I was just thinking about that, praying over what I want to talk about. So Jesus and I, we're going to go out for coffee again. And I'm going to see what he has to say, some more things that he has to say about prayer. And I thought, well, what better place to go than the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer is not some ridiculous thing that you parrot and you say 20 times to tip the scales back in your favor. It's so ironic that we do that because right before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, don't use meaningless repetition. So what do we do? We pull, rip the thing right out of context and use meaningless repetition. Don't think about it at all. We use it like a magic talisman. God's up in heaven going, oh, I wish these people would listen to me. They'd read biblical passages in context so they'd know what they actually mean. So let's look at it real quick here. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Halloween? What? What world's a hallowed? I don't even know. It's related to Halloween, but it, uh, it really is. The word's related to the word Halloween. I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, we don't use that word, so that's not very helpful. Whatever it is, that's what I want, God. No, that's not what he wants. He wants us to understand what we're praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, or give us today the bread that we need today. Jesus tells us elsewhere, don't worry about your five-year plan. Worry about your today plan. If you're worrying about your five-year plan, you're not going to be worrying about today and taking care of your today business. So anyway, forgive us our debts, our debts to him, our sins, as we've forgiven our debtors. Because if we're not forgiving the people around us, we stop the whole program. The heavens are brass above us. God is not going to be answering any prayers for anything if we're not extending to others around us the same love and forgiveness that we want to receive from him, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I can't, I'm not even going to be able to go very far into this. We're just going to start walking through it. So let's see here. And here's, here's a little bit of the context it comes from. When you're praying, don't use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles, the unsaved, the people don't, that don't know God from a hole in the wall, they pray without thinking about it. Don't do that. They think they'll be heard for their many words. So in some countries, they have prayer wheels and you walk by and you slap the prayer wheel and then your prayers are, that's meaningless. You're supposed to be loving God with your mind, engaging him with your mind, thinking about every word that you utter when you pray to him, thinking about your strategy in prayer, thinking about biblical principles that make it work, because there's a lot of praying that doesn't work. Some people say prayer doesn't work. Say, no, the way you're praying doesn't work. 
That's worth repeating. Some people say prayer doesn't work. It's no, the way you're praying doesn't work. There's a way that works just fine. You just haven't learned how to do it yet. Amen? So don't use meaningless repetition. So let's start working our way through this. Our Father, this is how we're supposed to pray. And this is more like an outline, a categorical outline. Pray this category, then this category, then this category, then this, or a heading. Pray under this heading, this heading, this heading, this heading. So the first one is our Father. So right there, you know, you're supposed to be in an intimate relationship with God. When you, do you talk to God like you talk to your dad? Some of you had really bad parents. Some of you had no father. And I, I'm sorry that it's really sad because of this beautiful kind of uh, comparison breaks down for you. But you know they were a, dad, a bad father because you know what a father should be, right? So think about having a father like that. But God says, Jesus says, the first thing is you need this intimate relationship with God. Um, boy, there's again, you can launch off on a sermon on any word of Scripture. I remember years ago, boy, this is a cool story. Poster child in my at, at my first seminary I went to. Won all the awards, highest GPA. He came from an elite undergrad school. He got really, he, he, I probably wouldn't care if I gave his name. His name was Doug Shue. And uh, at graduation, man, he was the guy. Won the world's mission award, run all this, all this kind of stuff. Well, he went to India as a missionary, and when he got there, he realized he didn't really know the Lord. And he wrote back and said, "Guess what, everybody? I got saved." Some people were horribly offended. At the time, I was working with a very crazy, sorry, if the guy's listening, street kid crazy he had come from los uh los angeles hollywood and and the guy who led him to the lord said this is the worst kid in that scene which is about the worst scene street kids scene it's insane well he was truly saved even though he was crazy and he had tons of bugs to work out you don't earn your salvation it's a gift this kid was truly saved and so i hope these pieces all come together for you I was trying to mentor this crazy young man at the time. One of the first street kids, first discipleship house I ever started. He was in it back in the late 90s. I said, okay, his name was James. James, you wouldn't believe it. Doug Shue, who he happened to know because we went to the same church, said he was never born again and he never knew the Lord. And when he went to be a missionary in India, he realized he was just going through the motions. It was just religion. It was just, there was no life in it. This street kid said, oh, that doesn't surprise me. I was like, what? What are you, some discernment expert or something? Crazy street kid? He's like, no, I heard him pray. So I heard him pray. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they pray. So the first thing Jesus says is, is God your intimate friend? So, if not, come talk to me afterwards. He wants to be. But you know, if he's some, to who it concerns, to whom it concerns in the sky, 911, Ow! you know, or someone like that, or whether he's your intimate friend. 
He says, no, he starts with our father. He's supposed to be in your intimate, the person you run to, the one you know is going to be there for you. Is And if he's not, we can fix that. Don't try to fix it on your own. We have it all plotted out for us in the New Testament, very clearly laid out for us how to become God's friend. But our father, who's in heaven, so he is in a different realm than we are. He kind of invades the, invades this realm from his realm if we learn how to pray right. So our intimate friend who is in a different realm, hallowed be your name. Again, what in the world is a hallowed? So it is related to Halloween. What is Halloween? Halloween is All Hallows Eve. And originally it was a pagan holiday, occultic, weird, witchcrafty, speaking to the dead kind of stuff. And like so many things in, in history, Christians tried to co-opt it and clean it up and make it into something more dignified. So it's a time where we're supposed to honor saints and martyrs, hallow them. We're supposed to respect them, honor them, think about them, thank God for them, kind of lift them up, pull them out of the muck of history and everything and focus on them. So basically... You can do this in your Bible. You can just scratch words out if they don't make any sense to you. So, uh, honored, revered, set apart, respected. We want to set it apart. What do we want to set apart? His name. Yeah, what's his name? His name's God. Yeah, your name is person. His name's not God. God is what he is. God is not his name. So uh, you should get to that. He's got a whole bunch of names, actually, because he's infinite. But a name reveals your identity, your character. So if you understand the concept of name, you don't have to scratch it out, but you should expand your understanding and understand what in the first century they mean by name. It's not just our names don't mean much. They just separate us from the next guy. But honored be what? Your true identity. Let your true identity be honored and set apart. My intimate friend who dwells in another realm. So that's what meditating on Scripture, thinking about Scripture does. But the devil just wants you to plow through it and pretend you know something, act like you know something, just because you can parrot it. Your parrot parrots things. Your parrot can say the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of people say the Lord's Prayer with the same intellectual integrity as a parrot. We should be saying, our Father, my perfect Father, the one who loves me, my intimate friend who cares for me more than anyone in this universe, who is, this, is in this other realm that I have to access through my prayers. That's the tool he gave us to do it. I First of all, before anything else, I'm going to pray that your true identity is honored. Well, if we're praying this, this must mean that his true identity is not honored. Well, it just so happens that the devil's number one strategy on just to keep us all in bondage is to muddle up what we think about God. If you know your Bible at all, you know in the Garden of Eden, that's the very first attack on the human race. Adam and Eve, if they see God properly, are going to trust God, love God, obey God, follow God. So the serpent gets in there, and of course the serpent is a devil, and he said, God is not as good as you think he is. He's trying to shortchange you. 
He's trying to rip you off. He's trying to keep the goods from you. Who in here has fallen for that lie? Seriously, we all have. If you didn't raise your hand, you know almost nothing. God is trying to shortchange you. So don't listen to him. Take the shortcut. Come up with your own route. Because God can't be trusted. So what the devil does is he twists up God's character. If we understood how good God was, how wise God was, how much he loves us, if we really saw that with clarity, we would say anybody that wouldn't follow him is a moron, is a crazy person, perfect in wisdom, perfect in power, perfect in love. And the more you get to know him, you want me to drain my bank account? Fine. Give it to some orphanage and I don't care. You want me to uh, move to Timbuktu? You want me to quit my job? Whatever you want, God. You want me to go make friends with this crazy person that hates my guts? I'm all over it because you're perfect in wisdom, power, and love. But uh, the devil's worked very hard to mess up our conception of God. And that's why we won't follow him. That's why we won't submit to him. We believe that the God who created us is about ripping us off and being a killjoy and keeping us from the good stuff. And making our life dif difficult and doing things to us for no good reason. You know, I hate to say this, but like little boys, you know, they sit around with bugs and they torment them and they torture them. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but pulling the legs off daddy long legs to watch them squirm, you know, when they're apart. from Look at that. Isn't that interesting? Right. That's little boys. We think God's like that. He's just toying with me, man. He, he just is. He's, he's cruel. He's a jerk in the devil. No, 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 God. We want your true identity to be honored. That's our first prayer. So what is his name? What is this true identity? Are you getting it right? A lot of you aren't. I'm not going to look at anybody. A lot of you aren't. That's why you're nuts. That's why you keep doing dumb things. That's why your life isn't blessed. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. How are we going to have the fullness of life, Jesus? If you're really my disciple, you'll abide in my word and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. By listening, learning who I am. So God, that's our first request, that your true identity would be honored, lifted up so that people could see it. Because on planet Earth, from the Garden of Eden, the devil's been working overtime to sabotage it. Oh, we can do this one. How many of you guys have ever been mad at God? Yeah, everybody. But now, mad at God. Yeah. <laughs> um, usually, that is us being mad at a twisted up, perverted conception of God. It's not really him. But the devil has helped us to create. And a lot of times what we have to do is we have to say, all right, God, I'm going to let you demolish what I think I know about you. So I'm going to put it up here. And it doesn't, you don't walk away from the idea of God. You, you, you're open to the possibility that what you think about him is crazy and twisted up and needs some serious renovation. So what is his name? I don't want to get into another sermon on Exodus 34, 6, although it is the coolest description of God in the entire Bible. What's his name? God says, I'm going to go in front of you, Moses, and I'm going to declare my name. Yahweh, Yahweh. That's just Hebrew for he is. He is. That's the name he likes us to call him. He is. He is what? He's a lot of things, but this is what he told Moses. He is a God who's compassionate. 
a God who's gracious, a God who's slow to anger, doesn't like to uh, punish you. I really like this line in the new book I'm writing. You don't like the smell of skunk. You don't like nails on the chalkboard. What was the other one I said? One another one. Smoke in your eyes. God doesn't like to punish people. So unless you like to sit around, oh yeah, bring on the skunk. Oh man, yeah. I, I have a I have a fire pit in my backyard. I hate that smoke in my eyes, man. I hate it. It's it, oh, it's painful. Um, nails on a chalkboard. Actually, the dentist did something to my teeth the other day. The, 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 the orthodontist. He took like a piece of sandpaper, put it between my teeth and pulled it. I'm like, I'm like, waterboard me, man. Don't ever do that again. It was like, it was like nails on a chalkboard times a thousand. Well, that's, that's how God feels about punishing people. He doesn't like, well, that's not the God in my head. That's because you're crazy. You don't know him yet. This is who he is. He loves us. He wants to do good for us. He's waiting for us to get uncrazied. So like Susan was saying, we can come stand under the flow. He's better than you think he is. So God, hallowed be your name. How do we know this is absolutely the way he is? Because his only begotten son put on a human man suit and came down here and said, I'll explain it to you guys with a visual aid. Watch me. And look what he says in his high priestly prayer. Jesus, I've manifested your name. Your true identity to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They've kept your word. I showed them exactly who you were. Jesus, uh, what do you do when someone who's following you goes on a crazy streak and decides to like curse at the sky, reject you, tell all their friends they're not walking with you anymore, and then they decide to come home? God, what happens then? Well, Jesus says, watch what I do with Peter. And he denies me in my greatest time of need. What do you do, God, with someone who is grossly immoral? Sick, disgusting, sexual pervert. Well, all throughout the uh, New Testament, who was it who liked me the best? Prostitutes. Well, God, I'm a big cheat. I've lied and cheated and stolen. And how do those people feel about you? Go read about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the turncoat. You want to see how God functions, thinks, feels, acts? Watch Jesus. That's his name. That's his true identity. So the first prayer, the first line of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, our intimate friend who's in heaven, let your true identity, which is manifested in Jesus, be honored in this world. Is it being honored right now? No. People who call themselves, and, and, and one of the ways that we show the world who he is, is we act like him. Right now, people who say they believe the Bible and they love Jesus are perceived by the broader culture as some of the biggest jerks on two feet. They hate. They're selfish. They're greedy. They're going to blow your head off if you come on their property. They want to build the wall. They want to keep out all the foreigners. They want, I don't care. I'm going to offend you. I don't care. You can come talk to me later. It's not Jesus, man. 
It's not Jesus. So somehow our vision of God's been tweaked. So we're tweaked as his followers. And the first line of the prayer is, God, please clarify that. Clarify our vision of you so that the world can see who you really are. So um, now I have to do a little bit of technical background work here. Spiritual warfare is tricky stuff. I was talking with uh, my friend Dave about spiritual warfare and, and uh, before the service. Um, we want magic. We want dumb magic. I have bitterness, so I'm going to go forward, and the pastor's going to pray for me. In the name of Jesus, we just pray that every you know bit of bitterness is out of you forever, uh, whatever. Um, I I got an addiction. Okay, you know now God do, does do stuff like that, but He wants us to learn how to function in this world. That's really a much better way of getting things done. We're transformed by the renewing of the mind, right? So. Yeah, occasionally we need a miracle because we just can't move forward without the miracle. But God says the much better way is to learn actually how to walk in victory because you know how to manage things in this world. So this whole uh, attack on our conception of God is kind of tricky. And I'm really sad to say this. I just hope none of you fall asleep, but someone probably will. But for some of you, this is going to be really helpful. I'm going to show you one of the devil's main tricks in getting us not to see God in Christ in the Christian church. Oh, Lord, please pray this works. Let's see here. So this is the main description of God in the Old Testament. And it was per perfectly fulfilled in a man by the name of Jesus Christ, who wasn't just a man, he was the God-man. So he's a God and man together. This is the mystery of the hypostatic union. He's God revealing uh, himself to us through a human being. These words, I hope this works, only fit on a person as we understand a person. So we could say it's kind of like a t-shirt, a t-shirt that was meant to fit the contours of someone sort of like me and you. We got arms and legs and appendages and whatever. It's like a garment. This description, these words, they apply. They only fit on a being that is like us. Ta-da! That's the guy who's going to put the t-shirt on. And for those of you who are online, I just have a t-shirt with all these words on it and a silhouette of a guy saying, hey, put it on me. So that's basically how God explains who he is through the person of Jesus Christ. You hanging with me? So this is what the devil has done to cause us to all lose our way in the Christian church, especially pastors and theologians. I, yeah. And this has come from, again, I did this a couple of weeks ago, 25 years of hard study, and I'm trying to make this super simple for you. Okay, so now, can I take that T-shirt, which fits perfectly on a human-like form with real emotions who you can have a conversation with and influence and even change their mind. Can I put that t-shirt on the sun? If you said no, you got the answer right. 
the question is ridiculous. I, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, I mean, there wouldn't be a t-shirt. It doesn't even make any sense. That description only applies to someone who has emotions like we have emotions, can respond like we can respond, who can show patience like we can show patience, who can be kind like we are kind, who can be faithful or unfaithful, like we are faithful or unfaithful. The only way we're supposed to understand God in a form that's very much like the form we understand that was ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, all through the Bible, we have this really interesting kind of dilemma going on. And even has this, when he's talking to Moses before, he tells him this and shows Moses a form. It says he shows Moses a form of himself, but right before he does, he says, you can't see my face, no one can see me and live. And all through the Bible, you have, you can't see God, and they see God, but they can't see God, but they do see God. And I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and all the way through the last epistles that Paul ever wrote to the one who dwells in inapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, and the last epistles of John, no one's ever seen him, you also have this idea that you can, that you can see him. And so the critic that doesn't understand that the Bible is a book written by God himself, so it's super genius, will just say, see, I told you the Bible's full of contradictions, so I'm going to go become a Buddhist or an atheist um, or, or a scientist, because there's no contradictions in science, and I got everything figured out. You know? Ridiculous. No, the Bible's a genius book, but you do have this thing going on. What's happening? Well, God created this world. And everything in this world has parameters on it. Uh, duration. It exists from this point to this point or this point to, you know, we're eternal. So we don't have, but we have a start and we develop over time. We're always going to be temporal. We have bodily parameters. Everything we think about is boxed in. God is not from this realm. He's not a part of this realm. He's outside of this realm. He made this realm. He has no limitations. He fills every quirk, atom, strand of DNA. To, there are stars that are so big they could swallow up everything in our entire solar system. He, he fills them, transcends them, has no parameters. He knows everything, past, present, and future. He's working everything towards his, the end he wants to work it to, from him, through him, to him are all things. God exists in a state that is a very, very much unlike a human being. We could call that God his original state. Many philosophy people in here. This is we're talking about ontology, the sort of being God is. And all through the Bible, it says, you guys can't do that math. You can't crack that code. You can't do those physics. God in that realm is. You can't even start to think about it. Are your brains rattling smoke and you end up in the nut house? And literally, I mean, some of us have almost gone crazy trying to unscramble what we think about God on that side of things. God says you can't do it. Psalm 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And that bothers some of us. Like, I want to be able to figure everything out. We're just little tiny things. 
And the funny thing is, because we're a part of creation, we say, well, God, I want more knowledge. You know what? Even if he gave us a million times more knowledge than we have right now, we'd feel exactly the same way because we'd still be that far away from infinite. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but God in his original, pristine, whatever, infinite godness, we can't do that math. So he has always come to us in a borrowed human-like form. I know this will trouble you, but read the Bible. He walks with Adam in the cool of the day, right after the chapter when he's speaking infinite galaxies into existence. Can we see him in that form? Can we understand him in that form? No. But he's like, oh, I made this little dude named Adam, and I really love him, and I love Eve, and uh, I'm just going to go hang out with him. So uh, I'll put on a form of a person, and I'll go down. And when he was walking with him, how tall was he? I think before the fall, people were nine feet tall. Whatever. Who cares? What race was he? Well, he was the perfect race that from which you could derive all the races. Whatever. Probably a mild brown. Um Whatever, whatever he was, he took on time, space, dimensions, and it seemed through the Bible, everybody knew that's who they're dealing with, but they knew that there was more. And they would drop some things. Yes, he knows everything. Ultimately, he's planning. But thinking about that too much is like turning to the sun and just staring at it which is a really funny story from when the boys were little. They were in the backseat of our minivan. And for some reason, they got the bright idea to look at the sun. The little tiny guys, like, don't look at the sun! Why? Because go, you'll go blind. You'll destroy your apparatus, your ability to see anything at all if you try to look at the sun. Same thing if you try to understand infinite God. You will lose your minds. And this is what causes us all of our trouble as Christians. We say, since God is sovereign, which means I understand what's going on over there, that means that dot, dot, dot. Well, if God's really in control of everything, and I really understand what's going on over there, that means that he knew I was going to be sexually abused as a child, and he didn't do anything about it, and he could have, and he didn't. And he, see where we go? We go into a labyrinth. Oh, I know exactly how God works over there. He He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knows the future. Um, then uh, since I know that, why the heck am I praying? It's not like it's going to accomplish anything. This is a trick of the devil. Nobody does this in the Bible. Nobody says, since God in his infinite state is this way, the implications for me in my finite realm are this. This is hard for some of you. Some of you guys have read a lot of theology. I know there's going to be people online, and they're going to be like, heretic, this guy's a heretic. Read your Bibles. I like to say this. You've heard me say this before. He stops by Abraham's tent for a barbecue. Hey, you want some salad with that leg of lamb there? God. He wrestles with Jacob. Wait, wait. Okay, before we get started, no tickling. 
No Charlie horses. No eye gouging. Okay, ready? Go. Okay. He comes like a person. And then when Moses prays, he doesn't say, I know you're really sovereign and everything's under control and my prayers don't matter, but I'm just going to go through this stupid rigmarole because you commanded me to. That's how a lot of people think prayer is because they think they understand. They understand what God is. This is the theological hamstring slicer for your Christian life. We can't understand God in that infinite mode. So he always comes to us in a way we can't understand as a very specific person, the person that was ultimately displayed in the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is called prolegomena, what you have to say before you go into your interpretation of Scripture. I think the majority of the body of Christ in America right now has their hamstrings lit because we have been teaching people we can understand infinite God. We can look straight at the sun. We can understand all of how it all works out. And what we're doing is we're jumping over that beautiful gift God has given us for actually engaging him in meaningful ways. I can change his mind. I can move his heart. I can appeal to him as a good person as I understand good people should behave. You go over here, what is love? when you can predestine people to hell? What is love when you can will that babies are killed or overlook sexually? You can't do that. You can say a few things about him. He's got the powers in control. He's got no parameters. He doesn't have a, a, a form like we do, all this stuff. But we can also say, but he came to us in a way that we can engage. How does this form relate to that? I have no idea. None. And neither do you. But we know one thing. Yes, Jesus loves me. We know that. So when my baby is sick, yes, Jesus loves me. Or my friend is lost. Or in the nut house, on the street, or addicted. Yes, Jesus loves me, right? And how does prayer work? Well, he loves me. Jesus! Fix it! This is bad! And then the theologian will say, well, how does that relate to the sovereignty of God? Don't know, don't care. Because he told me he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, great in loving kindness and faithfulness, and he showed me that in the person of Jesus Christ. And he said, come to me, ask you, receive, seek a find, knock the door, be open, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to try to put that T-shirt over the sun or over the Milky Way. or doesn't even make any sense. I want to put that over the person that God has revealed himself to be so that I can walk with him. And all the greatest Christian songs, they tap into this. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. I get emotional because this is how you do it. And I think the theologians are lost. And I know this will make them mad. I love you. I'll see you in heaven if you've accepted the gospel, but you're lost, my friend. Jesus said it's the little kids that get it. My intimate friend who lives in the other, the, that other realm, I pray that your true identity that you've revealed to us and given us so that we can walk with you is lifted up. Why? Let's see here. I'm not even going to that. This is what the theologians say. Oh, here's this identity. We got, we got this infinite God thing all mapped out, charted out. Come to seminary, 
earn a PhD, you and God will be tight. No, you'll be lost. This is what the theologian, absoluteness, absoluteness, absolute perfection, pure actuality, necessity, immutability, impassibility, timelessness, simplicity, omniscience, omnipresence. This is what the systematic theology textbooks are all about. This is what you're going to study if you study theology. You're not going to study about a person that wants to get into your business and fix it. This may, they may have mapped them all out perfectly. I don't think they did. They may have, uh, but it's still not how I'm supposed to walk with him. So I've studied all this stuff. But I'm like, there's no, po and actually they borrowed most of this. From, I, they borrowed most of this from Greek metaphysics. You may not believe it. Let's go to coffee. It's easy to show. Aristotle's book on metaphysics reads like a systematic theology textbook. They came up with all this, all, everything that was going on over there, it was mostly the ancient Greeks that thought they could solve everything. There is something over there. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere present. He does have all the knowledge. He is working everything towards his intended goal. How he does it, don't know, don't care. I get to walk with Jesus. Every day I'm going to walk in step with Jesus. He says, do this. I say, yes, sir. He says, do this. Yes, sir. Something's not happening. I say, Jesus, make it happen. Maybe I'll get a bunch of friends around me. Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's cry out. And then I'll make it happen. That's how we do it. Matthew 11. Can a child even say these words? Let's see. Could we, could we get a three-year-old up here? Could you please uh, read this for us? And then explain impassibility. Absolute perfection is a good one. I mean, could you... Pure actuality? What did Jesus say? I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. What things? You've revealed them to babies. Yes, Father, this way was well-pleasing in your sight. This is how you do it. So the smart guys are going to jump over it, and the babies are going to get it. What are you talking about, very specifically? No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father. You mean the smart guys? Yep, no one except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. What did Jesus reveal? That God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, great in kindness and faithfulness, and comes to us as a person that we can understand. Stay away from trying to figure out your life from the standpoint of sovereignty or whatever you think predestination is or foreknowledge. Stay away. From, that's not how you figure it out. You figure out life by getting to know Jesus. And read about the movers and the shakers in history. The great social transformers, the great evangelists and revivalists, man, they pray like small children. How many of you guys have read about George Mueller? Dude was a phenom. Watch the way he prays. Raised 10,000 orphans by faith. And the dude was super smart. He knew like 10 languages. He'd been theologically schooled. He's just like, that's not the way it works. The stories of his life are astonishing. He could change the weather. Anyway, he'd just be like, God, you're good. I got hundreds of kids here to feed today. We're all out of money. A good guy wouldn't let that happen. Do something. And for over 60 years, miracles, miracles, miracles. So the devil's sabotaging how we think about God so then we can't engage God. Then we won't have much fun walking with God. And then we think, then we blame this whatever 
we think he is on what's happening. I remember there was a, this is a crazy story. I remember hearing about a uh, tsunami. This is late 90s, hit Indonesia. Devastating. I remember hearing a story of a pastor had a bunch of orphans and literally we don't even know how to process this in the West. It was unfocused on the family. I think they probably wanted to hide it after they put it on there. The way he prayed and the way he believed, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you can get to the point where you know so well the good thing that God wants to do that you can command things. He said that the tsunami was coming towards him and the children and he rebuked it in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus said you could do. This is what happens in other parts of the world where they're not so smart. And he said, and, and then it came back, he rebuked it again. So we could get all the little kids in a boat and he saved them all. Well, go look it up. It's on the internet somewhere. Everything is. But this is you got to walk with him like a little kid. Especially you smart guys. You love your theology. Go to a coffee shop and let's read some post-Reformation dogmatics. Then we can't pray anymore. I'm serious. I know this will offend people. I don't care. I'm too old. You don't like this church? Go to another one. I'll see you in heaven. I'm like, But I want you guys to have fun. I want you guys to be world changers. Okay. You know, I don't I don't think this young man will mind me mentioning him. He was one of your targets a couple of weeks ago. Uh he, he was uh he was in a whirlwind, man. He was in a demonic whirlwind. You guys prayed for him one week, he shows up to prayer the next week, and he, next week he's like, Hey, can I get in the house and become a serious disciple of Jesus? This is warfare. If the devil gets you to stop praying, no more miracles, and then you blame it on God. Warfare. And we're going to get to heaven and God's going, oh my goodness, it was all in the book. Why did you listen to the terrible teaching that was going around in the 21st century? Why did you read all those hot off the press books by the Christian publications instead of praying on your knees with the open scripture and look at their history at the people that opened the heavens? Okay, so back to our t-shirts. This description of God. Compassionate. That it, Good means good. Don't get all philosophical on me. Good means healing. Good means deliverance. Good means salvation. Good means provision. Good means getting a job. Good means daddy's coming home to their kids. Good means good. This description of God fits perfectly on Jesus Christ, and that's how God wants us to know him and engage him. There are some things about him that do not seem to connect to this logically. We can't do that. Just like, again, you got we got some smart guys in here. We've got a, like a whole front row of engineers. Probably look at, you know, watch videos on quantum physics just for fun. They have no idea how quantum physics and classical physics relate. No clue. I think string theory maybe, but good luck figuring that out. And the questions of quantum physics, it's the same thing with the, you know, where we live in God's realm. There's no no clue how they fit together. Don't try it. Just learn to walk with Jesus.
Pray to the Father as he revealed himself in Jesus. Expect. Now, sometimes we'll say, well, this is a good thing. If God would heal this person, so heal him. And the more you pray and you're with other believers, you're like, but do you realize this person's not saved? Or do you realize that this person is a Christian and they're walking in rebellion? And this sickness, it may be caused by the devil, but I don't think God's going to heal it just yet because God's trying to ring their bell so they'll he'll chase them back into the fold. So actually, you, there is a lot of nuance to this, and it's kind of an art form to figure out what's really the best. But God's always up to the best. He's always up to the best, but we got to participate with him. Or it ain't going to happen. Jesus went to his hometown. Says he couldn't do many miracles there. Why? No one would participate with him. That's how God set up this realm. I know this is crazy, radical stuff. And those of us who grew up in the normal dead church who never saw any conversions or miracles, are like, I don't believe any of this. Well, could it be connected to the reason we didn't see any conversions or miracles? We're doing it wrong. So then we get on to the next request. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. I'm not going to take much time here. Hallowed be your name, or honored, revered, set apart, lifted up. Be your true identity. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, you live in this other realm, and you got ideas that ain't happening down here. So what we want to do is we want to bring your ideas down here and your plans and the things you'd like to see happening, like sick people well and fatherless children taken care of and the homeless. The Bible says that he, he makes a home for the homeless. He's a judge for the widows. Right? We, we want to see justice. We want to bring an end to racism and all that. But most importantly, we want everybody, we want to go back to the beginning of the prayer. We want everybody to have that intimate connection with you, the true living God who revealed himself in Jesus. That's what we want more than anything. But your kingdom come, which you want, let it happen down here. Your will be done. We have totally misused and abused this phrase. This does not mean whatever comes down the pike, we're going to accept it. And for those of you who study, Go read John Calvin's section in the Institutes on Prayer. John Calvin doesn't even pray that way. He says, your will be done is not talking about the secret will of God by which he controls everything. He said he's not talking about that. He is talking about the things he has asked us to participate with him in. Even Calvin doesn't believe that's what this, it's not submit to everything. It is fight for the good. On earth or down here as it is in heaven. So your will, because we've got all modeled up there, what you want. Who? The God who looks just like Jesus. And I know this, I'm talking much higher than I live, but I don't want to dumb the Bible down to my experience. Does Jesus want babies dying of cancer? Does Jesus want people in foreign lands dropping into hell for all eternity? Does Jesus want the crazy person you love to spin off into insanity? Does Jesus want the person who's addicted because they're in despair, because they don't know how to get out of the dark pit they've been in their whole life because no one's ever loved them? Does he want them to stay there, live there, be in bondage? No, no, no. Good means good. So, God, what you want in your perfect goodness, let it be done down here. That's what we're going to pray for. That's what we're going to fight for. That's prayer. There's a lot of people that talk about this way better than I do. Most of them lived in the 1800s. I think that's really where they crystallized the doctrine of prayer. And 
That's right before the great global awakening, when God started taking over whole countries, which almost nobody knows about anymore. We go over this on Saturday, took over Wales, took over the United States in 1905, rocked Australia, China, India, because people started to figure out how to pray. So ultimately, your prayers, you should ask this, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Makes it real simple. I manifested your name. What's his name? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, great in kindness and faithfulness. This is how we pray. So, I think you got it. I think it worked. I think it made sense. This is a really, I, I, I encourage you guys to think about this, meditate on this, search through scripture, look at the God can't be seen, God can be seen dichotomy. Look at the greatest people in history and consider the possibility that the way you're praying doesn't work because you're focusing on the wrong center. I love the Syrophoenician woman. She just kept on coming, kept on coming. What was she pursuing? The goodness of Jesus was manifesting the goodness of the Father. She just wouldn't take no for an answer. I have a daughter who's cruelly demon-possessed. What was she doing? Who knows? Cutting herself? Blaspheming? Trying to kill herself? Jesus fixed her. She kept on coming until she got what she wanted. That's how God wants us to know him and walk with him. So, maybe we'll probe a little further into the um, Lord's Prayer next time. And uh, hopefully we'll try this out. Let's try this out. Come Tuesday night, let's try this out. So don't talk to me about foreknowledge. Don't talk to me about sovereignty. Talk to me about Jesus. What does he want? I don't know how that works. I can't. It's not that there's nothing there. We can't. We can't. Speak that language. We're not an infinite. You're not the fourth member of the Trinity. I like to say that. He doesn't invite you. We're little tiny things. So he comes to us as little tiny things. And he says, I'll, I'll come in a way you can understand. Now move me. Let's get some stuff done. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much that you set me free from theology. Um, and I get to see miracles. I got a whole bunch of them sitting in front of me deliverance from crazy stuff, drug addiction, total insanity, Lord, transformation of life, people remade, and we want to participate with you better. Teach us, train us. We are stupid, small little things. Even Paul said, we see through a glass darkly, but we want to know what we can know, and we want to participate with you because you, you invite us. So fill us, use us, chasten us, change us, tear down our strongholds. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.